Good evening, everyone. Thank you to those of you tuning in. It's always my honor and privilege to be here with you. And my prayer and my hope is always that there is some fruit that gets born out of your listening and participating in our shows. So thank you for that. So before we introduce our guest, and he'll be here shortly. The name of the show tonight is Breaking the Silence. And there's a lot of things that I think about where we really need to break the silence. And I was just reading through uh, Sam's book, Everyday Awakening. Sam Leibowitz is the owner of this radio station and supports all of our work here. Great guy. And it's interesting. So I'd like to just start with reading this and interjecting along the way. So he says, you know, sometimes we crave to see evidence of magic in our lives. We want that something special to show up in a way we can see it, touch it, feel it. We want to see something that can't explain any other way but magic. At the same time, we are skeptical of magic and miracles. We have a hard time believing in unseen things. We feel that magic just doesn't happen for us. Here's the thing. If we want magic to show up in our lives, we need to change. We need to change our perspective. To change our attitude. To be open to the possibilities if we would allow ourselves to be just a little more open, we would create space for magic to show up. Sometimes magic is all around us and we just don't see it. Small coincidences go unnoticed. There's a person who calls right when you're thinking about them. The angels speaking to us in subtle ways. If we do not look for it, we do not see it. Yet, when we open our eyes, when we open our hearts to the magic of life itself, when we embrace the miracles that are all around us, we see and experience so much more magic. What was once impossible is now possible. What was once unimaginable is now very real. And our lives become joyful, knowing that there is magic in them. The shift is not an easy one, especially if we've spent a lifetime being skeptical and close-minded. To open up now is asking a lot of ourselves, yet it is the only path we can take to have this desire fulfilled. For those who believe in magic, we'll see magic, real magic, not sleight-of-hand tricks, the magic of life itself. Have you been closed to magic? Can you open up to seeing the magic in your own life? So as I read this, there's a couple of things that come to mind that I'd like to share with you. First of all, and, you know, it's great because we're all allowed to look at things in the way we do, right? I don't like the word magic. 
I like to call it grace because God graces all of us with, quote, magic, with graces, with situations that touch us throughout our lives. And we know that it can only be something of mystery. Now, none of us have seen God. So this is the way I language God. God is mystery. God comes to us anytime, anywhere, any place, any way that God seems deemed and fit to do based on how God knows who we are, based on how God created us. And God knows us because God created us. And we're each an individual particle of the Christ creation. And we all need to change our perspective because those of you that have listened to the shows previous to this one, I've spoken about how we all can experience distortions from our upbringing. So I talked a little bit about those that were brought up in a home with prejudice. It's a distortion of reality because we are all the same and there is no such thing as differences. Truly, there aren't. And so I also do not believe in coincidences. I think that everything happens at a time when it is supposed to in God's time for us. So when we pray and we ask for God's help with something, it will come. But it might not be in the way or in the time that we are expecting it or wanting it, but it will come. It absolutely will come. And when we're touched with grace, and those of you that listened to the first show of mine, I spoke about how I, my, my early beginnings, and I was, uh, I was always a seeker and went into analysis, which is now my profession now in spiritual director. And I was seeking, and I was going from religion to religion, path to journey to church to church, um, different therapies, shamanism, new age. But it wasn't until I really opened my heart to Jesus. And I'm not here to convert anyone. I can only tell you my experience. Was that things really opened up for me. And, you know, God waits in the background, always calling us, always a place of salvation. And from the original Greek text, you know, it talks about here, in here, it talks about angels. From the original Greek text, angel means messenger. And we're all messengers many times to others, aren't we? Those of us that love to love, love to speak from our hearts and give love. Not about changing someone. It's not about changing someone. That's not what it's about. That's not what I mean. It's about bringing the good news to someone. A place of love, a place of hope, a place of genuine caring. 
That's an angel. And I'm sure all of you here are up to that task. So I just care and love each one of you. And I know for some people listening, they say, oh, that's so corny. You know, how could she say that? But I'm a human being. And it took me a very long time to come to love myself. And I do now. And out of that, it opens me up and gives me the capacity to love you. Even though I don't know you, I know that we're all the same. Because we all struggle. And we all suffer. And we all are joyful at times. So, so tonight, my guest, so great that he's here with me. His name is Albert Daba, and he wrote and produced and created an incredible film called Extra Innings. And is it about baseball? Sort of, but not really. He uses that word. He also has a radio show here on the station called Extra Innings. And it's great because he uses it as a way in, a way in to a deeper topic that we're going to explore tonight. One that is many times forbidden to talk about in families, that is taboo in our society in many ways, and yet it is really quite pervasive in the world that we live. And he's created all of this to take away the stigma of a topic called suicide. Now, people that commit suicide, are they crazy? I'm a psychoanalyst and I say, not always. I think at times in all of our life, if we tell the truth and we feel like we're just frustrated and we've had enough, we can have a glimpse of, oh my gosh, maybe I'd be better not being here. Is it despair for people? We're going to explore these issues tonight. And for those of you watching that have a family member or friend that took their life, we always pray for you and for them. And if you want to text us or let us know in any way that you'd like to talk further about it, we're here. My guest tonight, Albert, is also a a therapist. I'm a psychoanalyst. He's a uh, psychotherapist. And uh, we're here to uh, for you to listen and for you to embrace this topic along with us to become better acquainted with something that most people don't talk about. So we're going to uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll introduce you to a really great guy, Albert Daba. We'll be right back. Thank you. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. 
Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. to a journey through. I'm Dr. George Andale. And without further ado, let's introduce our guest tonight, Albert Daba. Hi, Albert. Hi, hi. Nice to be here. Nice to uh, be here tonight. Thank you so much for having me on your Thank show. Thank you for making the time. I know that you have a show called Extra Innings right before my show, right? Yeah, yeah. I got a little bit behind there. And, uh, but That's here okay. I am. That's all right, right? So we're kissing cousins. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yeah. So um, I want to thank you for um, creating your film. Um, Incredible film. Um, It's just extra innings. Just incredible film on Amazon. If you have a chance to watch it, I definitely recommend it because it, it approaches a topic, but in a way that is not dark. It is very loving. So, Albert, you want to talk a little bit about what made you create the film and what kind of effect did it have on you? Yeah, um, I created the film uh, because I felt something that I just really needed to express. Talking to friends and people about it uh, wasn't enough for me. I felt like... um, it was, I, I really felt up against the stigma of what it was like to have two siblings that took their lives and uh, the sadness, the pain, the shame. Um, and I got to the point that I felt that I was seeing a therapist and he said, you're, you're a great storyteller. And I said, I'm a great storyteller. How do you know? I go, well, you've been telling me your story for quite a few years. And um, and so I started to write it down. I, I first hired a writer, but, it, you know, I, I, it helped me get started. And then 
I took it from there. I wrote 11 or 12 drafts and um, I felt like I needed to express what was in me, what was going on in my feeling, obviously all from my own thoughts, my own views. I felt that this really, as I kept going into it and showing it to people and hearing all kinds of things, I felt more and more determined. And it really took me about 20 years because it wasn't like something I did every day. I have a, a, a business called Simmer Productions, which produced the film, which I still have that business. And the film just got to the point that, I mean, after writing the film and showing to so many different people, it's not like I showed it to one person who was an expert in this. I showed it to some professors and different people in the business, but showed it to friends and family. Um, my ex-wife read every script, gave me her opinion. When she first saw the film, I'll never forget. I had a girlfriend at the time who I was sitting next to, and my ex-wife, who we're still friends with, she was sitting next to her, and she leaned over, my ex-wife, right after this. She saw the film on the big screen, which was amazing. We showed it to cast, to crew, and family and friends in this beautiful theater in the city. And she's, she said, you knocked it out of the park. And it was really a labor of love. I realized that something that I had to do eventually, uh, it, and it changed. And, and I really saw um, that there was something that I really gained from it that I was just talking about on the previous show was that I learned so much from my brother and sister. And by doing the film, I learned what I gained from that experience. And my brother was a lover of baseball. He was so passionate about baseball that that passion he, I, I, I got from him and he hardly talked. And the only thing he ever talked to me about, he was 12 years older than me, was baseball. And he talked about baseball before his time. So he was really like lost. When I talked to him about my own baseball that I was playing or about baseball, professional baseball at the time, he wasn't interested. I mean, he was kind of interested in my own baseball to some degree. And my sister and I, again, she was 10 years old. I mean, we were like best friends. And when I lost her, um, it was years later and I knew she was suffering for quite a while. And I always tried to do whatever I could to help. And um, I felt, I felt, I felt so guilty when she took her life. And she actually even said to me, why don't you write a story about our brother after he died? And I never thought I'd write a story about both of them. Albert, why did you feel guilty? I felt guilty because I felt, you know, there are many times, she once left four suicide notes in my one bedroom apartment. She was staying over for a few days. And I came home to change because I was going out actually my first date with my first, with my wife, my ex-wife, it was my first date with her. And I read these notes and she was in the apartment. I said, what's, what's all this? And we were talking. Now I knew she had pain and I knew she, you know, had these, uh, I, I don't know what you, I don't know what she was diagnosed. I don't think she was ever diagnosed, but you would say she was always up and down kind of like bipolar, but she always felt my dad didn't love her. 
And she would tell you all these examples. And I would try to say, this is his way he expresses. And I was trying to logically explain to her who he was. And, you know, it was like going in and out of her. She couldn't get it. And um, she called me all the time. I called her all the time. We really confided in each other. She was 10 years old. I mean, she lived in Los Angeles. We yeah. wrote a lot when I was a teenager. She left home at 18. So I was like, you know, eight years old. And um, what uh, was your, sorry to interrupt. What was your brother diagnosed with? He was uh, early on, he was diagnosed schizophrenic. That's all I know. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about having two siblings that were challenged in this way? Because I know the way I'm trying to take off my sweater. I know the way you depict your parents on the, in the movie. Mm-hmm. And obviously that was accurate in your perception. So what do you think their part was in, in this? Well, they were very no old. Blame. There's never a blame. No, just- no, I didn't, I didn't not blame. I just felt they, they were who they, this is who they were. They were very old fashioned and very, yeah um uh live their lives the way most people in the community that we grew up live their lives um my father was a pretty rigid man this is the way you do things this is the people we stick with this is the way you go about life this is your plan now when you're brought up that way and you don't feel that way about your you don't feel that that plan fits you creates a conflict and there was a conflict I know with my sister and, and with myself as well with my brother, it's hard to say, cause I was much younger and he, he did, you know, drop out of high school and um, he, he really just sat alone. He was in mental hospitals and all that. So I think I'll give, I'll give you one incident that really, um, made me feel good uh when i showed the film in one of the we showed the film in a lot of uh film festivals and once some film festivals and we showed it in some synagogues and one synagogue a guy came up to me afterwards and said it was in great neck new york he said you know what i loved about your film he goes the way you play because i acted in it and i played my father and he says the way you played your father and he goes i grew up in the syrian jewish community in brooklyn now i live in great neck but your father, the way you just created that character was reminding me of every single Syrian father I grew up with of who I met. And it made me feel good. It made me feel like, yeah, to, to, you know, to a great extent. Yes. So that's who they were. And um, yet there's a part of me that always feels that because you are this certain way, that doesn't mean you can't change. And absolutely with help. Yeah. With help. And I, 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 another gentleman right after the film asked me, how did you deal with such a, how did you deal with such a mean father? And my, right. I just said, I never felt he was mean at all. Never. I didn't agree with how he wanted me to live. I was disappointed about his, um, not wanting to share anything of my love for baseball. So, but I never felt mean. I mean, I felt loved and I thank God that I felt loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you, 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 well, 
you depicted um, a young man in the film, which you were playing your father, but it was yourself, Michael, right? Wasn't that it? The, the boy's, the boy's uh, name. Oh, the boy's name, David. David, that's right. You grow, yeah. you grow to love the characters. I'm terrible with names across the board. But um, David, um, you came up against your dad. David came up against uh, your dad. And I think that might have been missing from your sister and your first, your brother, your older brother. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. And you I, were the I, youngest, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think I had that advantage being the youngest to um, absolutely in front of me. And I did go against them. I mean, you know, many people ask me why, how much of the picture is, uh, how much of the film is true and on percent. And I said, I can't, I can't give you that. I, very, you know, right out of my mouth says, I can't tell you what's true. I mean, it's all true in my eyes, the feelings of it, how I display it in the film. I, you have to take a lifetime and put it into two hours and make it connect and be dramatic and have a beginning, middle and an end. And that's, that's the challenge. And, uh, but I did confront him and have these talks with him like there is at the end of the film. I think one of the most meaningful lines that David says in the film to his father is, you don't know who I am. You really don't know who I am. Yes, that's right. Well, it's pretty hard. And it's funny because I just read before you got on um, about miracles and magic and being open in life. When we go through life like an oak tree, super rigid, it's very hard to be open to know who who anyone is except yourself. Because none of us really see things as they are. We really only see things as we are. So on that note, before we go into the next topic with Albert, uh, we're gonna take a quick 30 second break. Thank you for joining us on a journey through into awareness. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. You know you have it the potential for a more rewarding life, a life that matters. But how do you get there? The answer is in a best-selling book by the coach of the successful and wealthy, Ken D. Foster. The Courage to Change Everything, Daily Strategies and Wisdom to Awaken Your Hidden Genius and Transform Your Life. With this powerful yet amazingly simple daily guide, your future is in your hands. You will be empowered to unlock your potential, bring out your true gifts, increase your wealth, and take your life and business to a new level. Get your life-transforming copy of Ken D. Foster's The Courage to Change Everything by going to couragetochange.us. That's couragetochange.us. Quite frankly, there's no other book like this. Imagine what your life could be like if you had at your fingertips the success principles to create the life you've always wanted. Are you ready to live your dream? 
Go to CourageToChange.us. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to A Journey Through Into Awareness. I'm Dr. George Andel, for those just joining us. And our special guest tonight is Albert Daba, creator of the incredible Amazon movie called Extra Innings, and his radio show here on talkradio.myc called Extra Innings. So Albert, what's, what is the message you want to get out with the radio show? called Extra Innings. What are you hoping to achieve with the radio show as podcast? Well, what I'd like to do is have different people on the show. We've had four shows so far and that have a sensitivity to the fact of what the film is about and to get their experiences from their own work, their own social being of who they are, what they do, and how they see things. So I just had a, a wonderful woman who's a writing coach, so to speak, but she's so much more than that. She's helped me express myself by writing. Um, I've had a woman on who's with NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness, to really talk about her work in mental illness and what it's about. And she has a program called um, 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 Break the Silence. And to me, and I also had two cast members from the film, one who played the younger David. There was two characters who played my character, a young kid and the older one. So I had him and the older brother. Both were great. Yeah, they were they were so wonderful and they were wonderful on the show, the podcast. So what I'm trying to do is I'm going to get some sports people on. And the idea is and I, I came up with this um, extra innings. And then I was talking to a friend who loves the film. I never met her. She called me out of the blue one day. She lives in San Francisco. She's got a great heart. And we talk a lot. Her name is Lynn. And she said, why don't you, oh, that's great. Extra, extra innings is the name. So why don't you say extra innings covering all the bases? So I love that. So now it's our little tagline. That's great. And it's because I really thought of like bringing in as many different kinds of people as possible. Uh, I have a friend who's a sculpture who I'd like to have on very, very big supporter of the film. And I think, when it comes down to it, which I, wasn't my uh, initial um, reason for wanting to do the film, but the whole idea of it kept, kept coming up about the stigma of mental illness. My, my sister, who's five years older than me, has seven kids, 62, grand, 62 grandchildren. And when she read the script, maybe three or four years before I shot it, she said, 
please don't do this. Don't make this film because if they know that it's our family, my grandchildren won't be able to get married. Wow. I mean, it blew me away. Wow. Talk about shame and stigma. Wow. And secrecy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I understand it, but it's something that needs to be talked about. There's absolutely it's 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 so important to talk about it. Absolutely. And the topic of shame and secrecy needs to be talked about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we all go through life with it and you can see it everywhere. I mean, I do it for a living, but it's written all over people's faces. But when you come up against everyone and you ask how they are, everybody's fine. I'm fine. And, you know, we've all learned growing up to defend against the pain that we had in our early years. We have to face it. That's why the show is called The Journey Through. It is what we try to keep in the closet that makes us sick mentally and physically. And you can't disconnect the two. And spiritually. Can't disconnect the three. You know? Um, I loved your sister in the film. And I, lo I loved your brother. I, I just thought they were incredible uh, characters. And, um, you know, we all struggle. None of us are perfect. And the more we try to show up as perfect with age, whatever we're trying to hide becomes more pervasive. It doesn't work. And I did a couple of shows here uh, talking about this. Um, but, you know, mental illness, we all struggle with ourselves. And you know, when I started, I think you were here. I said, you know, suicide. I mean, I mean, there are people I know, person I've known that was not mentally ill and just based on desperation, intense desperation, lost everything, very sensitive person, couldn't deal with it, took his life. So it's not just about mental illness. Do you think it is, uh, Albert, in your opinion? No, no, I don't. Okay. I, I think that um, we, all, we all have issues to deal with. We've all felt embarrassed, shamed. We all felt guilt. There's all, you know, growing up, you're not supposed to do this. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't feel this way. Whatever it is, how you doing, I'm fine, you know? Right. What does that mean? I, I tell people a story that, you know, that there, uh, my company, Simba Productions, um, when I first started, uh, I, didn't, I didn't really know what I was going to be doing. I started doing actor reels. So I got into the whole party circuit, weddings and shooting weddings, bar mitzvahs. Uh, it was beginning of video. It was like 1980. I would shoot these one-year-old birthday parties and get on the floor with the kids. And I really got to, you know, see people through this lens and I realized that when I was a kid, I was invited to a lot of weddings from the Syrian Jewish community. We're, we're a kind of a real big clan and a lot of cousins and all that. And I remember like seven, eight, nine, ten years old being at these, like before the weddings, listening to people talking in cocktail hours and say, what are they all talking about? What, what's, what's really going on? Because no one seemed to be talking about anything, really. Right. And, it, and it's not so dissimilar today. Mm -hmm. it's really not so dissimilar today 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that to talk about what's really going on with you, I mean, I think we as a whole, the more empathic we can be towards people, the more we can sense something's wrong and bring it up, the better it is. Uh, and you can tell someone, hey, you know, you should, I, I know someone who's, who does suffer a lot from anxiety. And I say, you need to go for help. You really, it, it you should definitely, I went once. All right, well, it didn't work. We'll go, go to see someone else. Right. Good, good point, Albert. So I know that you want to, you know, break the silence on this stigma. And it's, I'm so proud of you, what you're doing here. It's, it's life, it can be, it has the potential to be life-changing for humanity in so many ways. Um, what's your hope that the film, what's your hope how the film will address it? What's your hope? Well, I've always said this from the beginning. You know, I put a lot of my own money into it, but we also uh, had a fiscal partner uh, with a suicide prevention agency called SAFE. Dr. Dan Reidenberg read the script. And after he read the script, he came to my studio there in Minnesota. But he happened to be in New York the following week. And we were talking back and forth. And I said, finally, well, what would you think about the script, doctor? And he goes, uh, well, there was a typo on page 110. I go, oh. <laughs> and then he goes, Albert, I loved it. I thought it was so. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, my goodness. Uh, he was great. He's He's been such a great supporter of the film. So basically, we were able to accept donations that were tax deductible that helped. So. But what I really want is as many people to see it as possible. I mean, that I've said that from the beginning. Um, I, I didn't realize it, but there was a time I always, I, I love film. I always love film. Many people love films. You know, I'm a film buff. Um, and I, I think I always had this secret desire to, I, I had this always desire to act and I did some acting. And, and while I went my, to get my MSW degree, that's when I first started acting. And I didn't go right away into, into, into graduate school. And um, so I discovered that creative part of me and I loved it. And I, I was in Florida and I, anyway, long story short, I came back to New York and I said- I'm sorry to interrupt. What were some of your parts that you acted? Because you really did a great, I thought you were well, great in the film. Um, you know, I actually, my first play was singing and dancing, which I never did before. I did anything, whatever that I was supposed to do. That's fun. And these are all theater pieces. So it was mostly theater. Uh, I played a really, when I came back to New York uh, and got a role in this uh, drama, which was great. It was the second lead and it was about being this tough guy. And, uh, but he was a sensitive tough guy. And uh, that was a, you have one a great voice for it. Oh, thank you. I took, okay, the voice. I wanted to audition for summer stock, not because of musicals, because there was all these great dramas except one musical. So I said, I can't sing. So I went to this voice teacher and I said, his name was George. And I said, George, can you teach me how to sing in one week? Cause I got this audition next week. And I know I was kidding, but I was serious. So we worked on it. I studied with him for a year and um, I did I did go to Philadelphia. I drove there for like, you know, two hours there, waited a half hour, did my thing in the middle of the song. Okay, that's it. Stop. And I did my monologue, you know, didn't get anywhere with it, but it got me out there. Right. And 
and and then then I auditioned for all these musicals, even just to get audition experience. Great. And uh, so I loved acting. And then with my video business, I, you know, it wasn't like I just sort of said one day I want to do a film. I learned a lot about filming, lighting, sound, even though like I tell people, you know, I was interviewed the other day and I said, you know, they said, what, what, what would you tell a, a filmmaker, a young filmmaker? And, and she said to me, when did you make the film? I said, well, actually it was May fin- finished about a year and a half, two years ago. She goes, how old are you? So I said, well, I'm 69 now. So your first film was to 67. I said, yeah. So she goes, well, it's never too late, everybody. It's never too late. And I realized it for the first time, you know. Oh, my that- gosh. Absolutely. You have, you're going to live a very long time. And you have a <laughs> lot of film to make. You're very gifted and talented. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I find, like, um, you know, the idea of... Uh, um, I was just, the guest I had on my show just before. Her name is Nancy Arony, who's a. Uh, I've taken five writing workshops with her, but this was after I finished writing the script, and she's taught me. I learned so much just by about expression, about being vulnerable, about talking about your pain, writing about your pain, writing about whatever it is, and I think that's all part of if you want to talk about stigma, about destigmatizing the idea that you have pain and dealing with it because we all have pain. We all have something that we've had to, we'll have oh my goodness. I mean, there's, you know, we're all going to pass on, you know, and, and there's a lot, and especially now with the whole COVID thing makes things worse for everybody. So we have to adapt. And, Absolutely. and I think, so the one thing I wanted to say was in making the film, what I really learned was, is that, I just wanted to do the best I could. And at some point I realized it's not going to be perfect. Don't go for perfect. Just go for the best you can. The people you hired, trust them. And you get what you get. And then you, you know, you can edit it and you can play with it and do all kinds of things with this. And I had two wonderful editors and a great cinematographer and, um, uh, you know, I had a co-director who was a great guy, good, good friend of mine, but he was getting impatient a lot. And one day, it was the second week, it was early in the morning, 11 o'clock, and where's this, where's that? You know, you're looking for these props, no one can find this apron. He's freaking out a little bit. And he goes, how do you stay so calm? He said to me. And I said, I'm learning every day. And it just came to me, and that's what it was about. That's so great. I would imagine that emotionally, what an exercise for you as a man to write this script and then to act in it, how much you must have grown emotionally through that process. You couldn't, you couldn't not. Even your father, if he, dad's, is dad alive? No, no. Even dad, um, if he had been alive and and wrote that script, he would have had to change (laughs) because it was that intense. It was that meaty. It was that tender. It had so much feeling to it. I just loved it. And everyone I've been I've told about the film, they loved it. So you did such a great job with it, really. And I think you're going to be a great success, um, you know, getting your message out. 
And uh, any thoughts on what a message would be for another film? <clears throat> well, I have these um, ideas of <clears throat> working on something that has to do with relationships, nothing really tangible yet. Um, uh, we were in the Miami Jewish Film Festival. I'll never forget this. And the uh, head of the festival comes to me. They took us all out, all the directors out that were there for that day and said, hey, uh, you know, let's have lunch. And it was a nice lunch. And I'm leaving. And the director, young guy, puts his arm around me. He says, thank you, Albert, so much. I love your film. He goes, you know, what's next? And I go, um, well, we're going to be in this next uh, festival. And no, no, no. He goes, well, what are you writing? What's your next thing that you're writing? And it took me by surprise. And I know in my mind, I have these thoughts of something to do with relationships and love and loss and how relationships work. And, and, and I'm in the beginning of six months of a new relationship and it, it's fabulous. And, and what I've been learning more than ever is about really, you know, she says, I'm an open book, you know, I, uh, and I am. I mean, I'll talk about how I feel. I, I, I think it's so important to communicate, even on the smallest things. Because yes. you don't yes. know what someone's really thinking on the other side sometimes. Yes. I work with a lot of couples. I do a lot of relationship work. Yeah. So if you if you just need to pick my brain, I'm here for you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I think it's much needed. Yeah, I, I think I, most relationships don't work well. Yeah, I, I think there's a way to, you know, from all the different relationships I have, I find I've never been in one quite like this where there's oh, that's great. such a, uh, you know, we're the same right around the same age and there's such a um, nice feeling between us and uh, we laugh a lot, which is so important. Um she laughs so much. She when she laughs, she she gets tears in her eyes. <laughs> She's so sweet. It's good. So she feels depthfully. She feels deeply. That's great. She does. She feels. That's great. Deep. Yeah. What's her What's her name? Her name is Lizzie. Lizzie. That's nice. And she. And how worked, did you meet Lizzie? We met on you know during COVID. Um, we you know had our masks on until you know we we ate outside. It was back in July. It's exactly six months to the day today and um we met on match and um oh and she came uh we showed the film in a um drive-in in west hampton oh and, wow yeah that was that was about uh about a month after we met i didn't know that the drive-ins were still around that's fantastic well, this was an uh, this was a drive-in that was put up. By, I think it was all every summer they have one. It's part of a synagogue in West Hampton. Oh, but because of COVID, you mean? I, I don't know. I'm not sure if it was because of COVID or if I had a feeling that they always do it. But I'm, oh. it could have been. It was about 25, 30 cars, and um, we were referred to this West Hampton synagogue by the J the Jewish Community Center in New York City on Amsterdam Avenue, where we uh, where we showed the film. And it was such a fun experience. And she came there with me and we had such a great time together. You know, we went to the beach the next day and uh, it was beautiful weather. We both liked the bike ride and there was all these farms and wine wineries around. And uh, it, was, it was really like the beginning of, you know, going away and getting to know each other more. And, uh, and it was great seeing the film outside. Oh, I bet on a big screen. 
Yeah, yeah. And the, I thought it was going to maybe bring some dinky screen, but it was a nice screen. The sound comes through your radio now, the way they do drive-ins. But there are drive-ins. We, we reached out to a few, and, but that was fun. So is there anything that you want the audience to take away from tonight's show? Um, a message? Yeah, I guess what I would like to let people know is that, you know, I, I, I was told um, someone in New Orleans came up at the end of the um, talk. Said I, He said, I don't have a question. I just want to say I love the film and you're so courageous for making this film. And I never thought of it as courageous. And I think from just listening to what I spoke with Nancy about that, I think we all have the courage within us. We do. And Albert, forgive me. I, I want to hear more about that. We're going to take a quick break. Okay, sure. We'll come okay, back. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. You're here with Dr. George Andale with Journey Through and Albert Daba. We'll be right back. Thank you. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, welcome back. So, Albert, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, um, I forgot um, about the break. So um, we have about three minutes left, and I'm going to do a prayer, which takes about one minute. 
So tell me, what do you want the audience to take away? Well, I think what I want the audience to do is really watch the film and think about it and talk about it. I think that would be the best thing. Talk about what they like, what they didn't like. Talk about what it meant to them. If it moved them, why it moved them. What 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 is it that they can connect with? Because I think that there's really almost everyone can connect to something in it. And because one thing that I've heard and is true, I think suicide affects everyone. Absolutely, it affects everyone. And even if they watch it and they connect with the behavior of your mother, your father, David, your sister, your older brother, absolutely, they will connect with someone in that film. It's, it's brilliantly done. So that's great. I want to thank you so much for giving me the, the privilege of having you on my show tonight. Thank you. Thank Albert. you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Yes. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. So let us end in prayer as uh, we always do. And it's funny because it's in, well, I don't want to give it away, but I had, and there's a reason for it. I had asked Albert if he believed in God. <laughs> And it's funny because it's in the film. And of course he answered. So. so let us pray and always remember that we're in the presence of God. By the way, thank you all for watching tonight and being part of my life, our life. Hope to see you here next week. We have another great show. Loving God, you fill all things with a fullness and hope that we can never comprehend. Thank you for leading us into a time where more of reality is being unveiled for us all to see. We pray that you will take away our natural temptation for cynicism, denial, fear, and despair. Help us have the courage to awaken to a greater truth, greater humility, and greater care for one another. May we place our hope in what matters and what lasts, trusting in your eternal presence and love. Listen to our heart's longings for the healing and our suffering world. Knowing, good God, you are hearing us better than we are speaking. We offer these prayers in all of the holy names of God. Amen. Thank you very much. Blessings upon you, and I look forward to seeing you here next week. May God bless you. Thank you, and good night. Thank you, Albert. Thank you. Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and maybe more importantly what hasn't worked. So that's seven o'clock 
every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 